You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. Uh, can you imagine a small, meager, soft-spoken, gentle MMA fighter? Or, or a loud, outrageous, rude, invasive, direct funeral home director? Or a, a restaurant server that, that doesn't smile or isn't friendly or interactive and, do, and doesn't know the difference between chicken or a burger. Now, I, I know you may have interacted with that one before. Uh, can you imagine a, a revolutionary hero, a knight in shining armor that, that goes and rescues the princess from the castle and, and when his armor comes off, he looks like Shrek, right? Uh, or, or what about for you Rudolph fans out there? Can you imagine... A jack-in-the-box named Charlie, or a squirt gun that squirts jelly, or a boat that doesn't float, uh, or, or a, a social worker that isn't empathetic, or a nurse or a surgeon that's squeamish around blood, or a, or a teacher that hates learning, or, or a politician that, well, you get the idea, right? Uh, the reality is, that, of course, there are exceptions to every one of these stereotypes, and, and all stereotypes, but, but we often assume that certain roles require certain traits, certain personalities, certain character, certain skill. And that's not only true for vocations, for character, for roles out in the world, but it's also true for us inside the church. Uh, when we stereotype who God uses to, to see his plans through, we can miss in, in very real, very personal ways with huge implications uh, we, can, we can miss the Savior altogether. That happened. They thought he would come to establish a kingdom and that he would look like a traditional king, a king of the world with, with royal robes and, and, and gold and, and, and legions of armies behind him. He didn't come like that. And then as it relates to us, we can, we can neglect our part in the plan if we don't think that we look like what God would desire to use. To see his plans through. It's easy to think that God uses the, the perfect or the mighty or the strong and the courageous or, or the determined and the focused to, to see his plans and his mission through. And, and you might be here today not knowing much about the Bible, thinking that it, it just kind of uh, tells of people who do all the things right. But if you open up the pages, you'll begin to see that, that in fact, the majority of the Bible is just all of the messed up people that God used to do mighty things. Uh, you might think that, that God uses the, the perfect and the mighty to gather the troops and to cast the vision to lead the charge, but, but that's, not, that's not what he does. Uh, n- none of those things undermine godly wisdom and, and God's desire to, to have effective leadership and skill, but God does things quite differently. La- last uh, week, in chapters 1 and 2, we see God talk about Pharaoh. And we see him talk about the, this great, mighty, deity king of Egypt. The, the most powerful uh, nation in the land. 
and we see that he never names him. He doesn't give him a name, and, and everyone would know his name, but, but God doesn't care about his name. But what he does do is he names in Scripture the midwives who serve him faithfully, right? And so we just see God's character come from the pages, and we see what he values. God doesn't need those who have it all together, who are mighty and, and the wisest and the brightest and the strongest and the richest and, and with the best family pedigree, the most educated, the most powerful, the most esteemed. God delights in the humble and the willing. And, and he has and he will use the proud at their own expense to carry out his mission. And we see that like never more in the scriptures than this story that we're, that we're reading through Exodus. But he opposes arrogance. But, it, but in contrast to that, he delights. The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble. And he works in and he works through and he works around the humble to save his people. And that, that to me, is beautiful and it, it is just super encouraging. And it comes from every fiber of God's story with his people in this book, God reveals himself to the humble and invites them into his saving work. That's what God does. Humility is the crux of character in the life of those who are in Christ. <clears throat> it's the essence of all of the other things that, that comes out of understanding who God is and who we are in light of him. But, but we so often, we ride the edge between pride and between doubt. And we'll see, we'll tease this out over the next few weeks, but this is where we are brought into God's story, into His salvation, into His rescue, into His work. We receive and then we join. We receive salvation and then we join the work. And so when we baptize, just a few weeks ago we had several baptisms, we baptize into the family. Right into the family that is the village church and into the family of God by, by faith alone in Christ alone. But, but it doesn't stop there. We baptize into the mission. So, so we are drawn in that we might be sent out, or as you hear Pastor Scott say, every single week we gather together and we scatter out. And, and the reason why we said every single week is because we want you to know that that is part of our identity which shapes our activity. We, we are brought in to be sent out. And, and like any story, we find ourselves trying to connect with particular characters. And so when we read about Moses or, or when you watch uh, a, a film or, or, or read a book, you just, your heart just longs to just connect with a character. And you try to say, well, like, where am I in this story? Or where is this story in, in my life? Right? Uh, we, we try to, to, to draw ourselves into the story, and that's okay. That enables us to relate and to be challenged and to change as we see ourselves in, in different perspectives and in different angles. And, and as we continue through this account, this story of God and his people in, in Exodus, captives set free today, we see our main character, right? It's not Moses. You thought it was. It's not. I know what you thought. It's God. God is the main character of this story because he's the main character of every story. We see God invite other significant characters into his story. And we see him invite Moses into a pivotal role, an unlikely stand-in. And we see Moses 
kind of a, a, a liaison, a, a mediator between God and, and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And, and God is the one true most holy. And we see Pharaoh, the epitome of, of evil and, and all that it represents. And then we see God's people enslaved in, in, in to, to, the, to the evil Pharaoh in, in Egypt. And we see kind of Moses in the middle. And, he, and he's like kind of bridging this gap. We see, we see him stand in and... and um, and what I want us to see today is, is we get to be mindful of, of how God writes this story and how he lets us join in it and, and how he joins our story. We see Moses bridge a, a few gaps, and, and two in particular. He is a type of Savior. We get to look at him, and we get to, like, if you know the story of redemption through Christ, then as you're reading through the Exodus, you're like, Wow, like Moses is a stand-in between God and his people, and, and he, he's the rescuer. And you make these connections, and you say, but, and Jesus is the stand-in. And so, and so he is that. He is a type. And, and Jesus is the better Moses. And, and we can see that. But, but what we also see in a passage like this today is, is that it also helps us see our role. Because Moses is not the Redeemer. He's the one that, that gets to point to the, redempt, uh, the redemptive work of God. And so we get to see him as a willing agent who, who points to the greater redeemer. We contribute to redemption by inviting others into life and relationship with the redeemer. And that's what we see Moses do today. And so uh, the, the first thing we see in this uh, Exodus chapter 3 is that God announces the rescue. Look, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm, I'm a big picture guy. And I know some of you like just care about just this like just the sawdust, right? The tiniest sliver of things. And I do care about that, but not until I see the big picture. And so uh, I always want to just zoom out. And so I, I ask questions to just, uh, hey, what should I do with this? Well, uh, okay, context and zoom out, right? Kim loves that about me. I don't get distracted with the details until I understand kind of the big idea, which, which leads me to love this interaction, that, that we get to see the plan. Moses, it's, it's been 40 years since last time we interacted with him in the last chapter, right? And so, so Moses, uh, he's, he's 80 years old. He's minding his, his business, and, and he's caring for the flock of his father-in-law. He's, he's seemingly disconnected from... The, the Hebrew life that, that's in captivity is, is what it seems like. And, and he's disconnected from the, the life of, in the house of Pharaoh that we saw him get brought into. He's, he's doing what he do, right? Then, out of nowhere, uh, as often uh, in the way that God moves, we see this, this burning bush. And so he's, he's shepherding. He sees this bush burning. And whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably seen or heard some cultural nod to the burning bush. You, you know that that's a thing, and you, and you might not know what it is or what it's all about, but I think if, if I can just simplify it for us, I, I think it's fair to say that, that it was just God getting the attention of Moses. And there's more to it, but, but Moses is doing his thing, and, and God's like, I, I need to get his attention. So like a modern equivalent might be if you were walking in a, a let's say, a desert or a desolate land, and you see like a, a flashing Vegas sign pointing to a, a tree or something like that. And it's, it's well lit and all this stuff. And then you, you walk over and you see that the electric cord or, or the plug-in is just laying on the ground. And you would think, how, how are the lights on? 
How is this happening? And then you would think, well, there's a battery pack, but there's no battery pack. And you would th- like, what is happening right now? That, that's, that's what's happening here. There, there's this bush, which is the energy for fire, and it just never runs out. And so it catches Moses' eye, and, and, he, and he sees it. And, and fire is, is attractional uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It represents purity, and so there's a lot of stuff in that. But, but, uh, but, but it has a significance because it grabs your attention. Like, any time I'm driving around here, like in Butler County, and I see big smoke, you know, uh, rising up, dark clouds or whatever, what I do is, is I, I, call, I mean, if it's urgent and no one's around, I'm going to call the fire department. But if it's far away, I call my brother. He works for the journal. And I'm like, hey, Nick, like, what, what's on fire? And, and, and he'll either be like, oh, that's the blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, it's cool. Uh, or he'll be like, I don't know. Why don't you uh, follow it and take some photos, shoot them to me. Um, and so, all right, I'll do that. And so if you ever see my name in the paper, that's why. <laughs> that's, that's how that happened. Um, and so uh, the, the idea is that it, it just attracts. And so Moses is doing this thing. He's the shepherd. And God says, psst, over here, Moses. And, and he turns. And he's like, I, I have to take a closer look. And we see the angel of the Lord appeared in a flame. The, the problem with preaching large chunks in this story up top is that there are, like, we could burrow down in, in all of this. And, and we're not going to, but when, when you see the angel, you've probably heard this, when it says the angel, then you're like, well, that's the pre-incarnate Christ, all right? But, but even before that, when you see the word angel, you probably think of something with wings. And that's okay. Uh, but just to kind of reassure a little bit, angel it, angel, it literally means messenger. And so it, it doesn't have to look like something with wings and something really weird. Uh, it, it's just a messenger. We see Abraham have, having interacted with, with messengers, and we see, um, uh, we see this all over. But, but what we see is the angel of the Lord, and, and many say this is pre-incarnate Christ, God himself. Uh, and there are some tips we'll get to in just a second to, to kind of some cues that might say, yeah, I get that. So it's in a flame and the bush was not consumed. And so Moses says, I will turn aside to see this great sight. How is this thing not being burned up? i got to take a closer look. And the Lord sees him turn to look. So, so he, he sent out the flare, and Moses is like doing his thing, and he sees it, and he's like, oh, what is this? And the Lord sees him, and the Lord says, Moses, Moses, here I am. All right. So, so it says the Lord sees him, and the Lord interacts with him. Like, I think we can say that, that at least a close uh, relation to God, somebody that's speaking on behalf of the Lord, is, is in the bush, all right? And so he says, Moses, Moses, and, and, and he says, here I am, I, I'm at your service, is what Moses says. Yeah, at, at your service. And, and that, to me, is just kind of like, gosh, it's kind of a neat guy. Moses is, here I am at your service. And then the angel of the Lord says, don't come closer, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. So that kind of is lost on us. We don't take off our shoes. I know there are people's homes where you walk into and, and you take off your shoes. And um, I remember in uh, my freshman year of college, I walked, it was probably day three, I walked into a class. We were in a, a Christian school and I had a hat on and I walked into the class and, and the professor, uh, I was like having nightmares just thinking about this telling you this it just made me feel bad because I wore a hat he was like uh 
he just, he just went off on me in front of everyone. Like, how disrespectful can you, like, what? Like, you know, who do you think you are and all this stuff? I'm like, well, but what have I done? You know, the hat, the cap upon your head, young man. Like, what? The school was in Tennessee. I, maybe that's a factor. But I didn't wear a hat. I didn't wear hats anymore, all right? But, but the idea is that there are places that require certain things. And the, the idea is that this place is not significant. But the, the guest of honor meant that there are certain cultural cues that you say, wow, like this is different. So he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. I have a friend, Jerry Funston. He preaches up outside of Columbus, and, and he, he preaches in no shoes uh, every single week um, for no reason. So you should find him and, <coughs> you should find him and ask him about that. Um, so then we see some intros. We see God says, I am the God of your father, your ancestors. Okay. And Moses was afraid. It's a blinding light. Uh, he he kind of begins to, to, to catch the weight of it all. You're the God that, that my father talked about, you know? Like, I, I can't, and, 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 and he, can't, he can't look. And, and finally, the announcement, the declaration, the good news, the one who can is. And here's the plan to save his people. Then the Lord said, I have sure, this is verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I I see my people. They're groaning in captivity. I'm, I'm breaking them out from Egypt to land promised, the promised land. I'm taking them from something bad to something great. This is what God does. He doesn't just deliver from darkness, but, it, but he brings into light something better. And, and for most of us in this room, gosh, it, it looked different, but, but we probably had a similar announcement at one point or another in our life, and, and it sounded something like this. And it might have come through a preacher, and it might have come through something on TV, or it might have been you just reading the Bible. It, it might have been an interaction with a coworker. It could have been any uh, number of ways, but, but you, you came to the understanding, I, I am God, the one and only, and I've seen and I've heard and I remembered my, my promise, and I know, and, and you've been captive to your sin. You've rebelled against me, and what you deserve is death. But, but I'm here, and I'm taking you from chains of sin, and I'm liberating you to be slaves of righteousness. I'm taking you from bad, and I'm bringing you into something great. And, and in this, we get to be brought into the goodness of God's kingdom now, here, and it changes the way that we interact, and it changes the way that we think, and changes the way that we know God, and that we know others, but also uh, a future, uh, a, a future that, that's, that's separated from all of the junk that this world offers. Do you know what Moses didn't do before seeing God in a burning bush? He didn't wake up and he said, I want to find you today, Lord. He didn't do that. He was just doing what he does. He didn't go out looking for him. And we see that God, God seeks and God saves those who, who wander and those who are lost. And apart from him, we have no 
hope, and that's still true for us today. So we see God, he, he, he announces the rescue, and then the second thing we see is that he recruits for the mission. Uh, you may have heard the story. In 2018, there was uh, a cave rescue. There were 12 boys from a soccer team in Thailand and an assistant soccer coach, I think, and, and they were between the ages of 11 and, and 16. <clears throat> they got trapped in, in an intricate cave in Thailand. And, and they, they went out venturing out, and, and it was monsoon season, and there were warning signs, and they ended up going into a cave, and it, and it rained, and so they, they had to run inward to avoid being trapped, and, and they got themselves in a, a pretty bad situation. And so uh, there were some phone calls made, and, and everybody's calling the, the coach, not that one, but another one, and saying, hey, where's my kid? Hey, where's my kid? And he's like, I don't know. And so they explored, and they found bikes, and some other stuff outside this cave mouth, and so they assumed they went in, and man, it started like like a, a international frenzy to get these people out, and and so they explored the possibilities when they said, "Wow, they're they're in here." Somebody went in it and found roughly where they were, and they said, "We have a couple options. We can teach them to cave dive, which is apparently very complicated, and I'll get to that in a second. We can." We can, uh, we can drill or try to find another exit. Or we can wait until monsoon season is over in, in a couple months. Can you imagine that being like, that's on the table as like a consideration? And you can imagine mom, like, no, that's not going to do. <laughs> like, well, well, ma'am, here's what we're thinking. If we could just wait till monsoon season's over, when's that? It's in four months. So, so apparently, I don't know anything about this. Cave diving, kind of a big deal. D- scuba diving, big deal. Uh, caves, big deal. Put those two together, like a really big deal. In fact, like the, the highest level of cave diver, this is from what I understand, there are roughly 100 on the planet they have kind of the highest level of, of skill. And so, of course, they brought a couple of those people in. And, and two of them were the ones that actually found where they were. They were two and a half miles in the cave. Two and a half miles inward. The cave filled with tsunami rains. So ultimately, all 12 players and the coach were rescued a, a guy or two with a very particular set of skills was required. And, and essentially, he, he saved the day. I'll come back to that in a second, but, but here's the thing. By God's grace, to get involved in God's rescue mission, you don't have to have 30 years of cave diving experience. You don't have to be a know-it-all. You don't have to have all of this memorized. You don't have to have... All of your life together. You don't have to be highly specialized. Uh, Now, only one could save the Hebrews. And and we'll see time and time again, there's only one that could save us from our sin, and that's God and God alone. But he invites others to join the rescue. And we just need to remember that that we are rescued for the rescue. So so let's see what God does to recruit for this mission impossible. And and I'm just going to read verse 10 and 11, all right? So, so in verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So, So God speaks through this flaming shrubbery. He says, I'm going to save my people, and guess what? You're the plan. Moses is like, what? And God says, you're on. Let's, let's do this. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So in this, we see that the mission that God has to rescue, to, to save the people, it meets the means in which the rescue happens. That, that Moses is being drafted into this work. Hear me. God saves his people we, we will see this, but the beauty is his strategy is that he sins to save, and he saves to send. I'm saving the Hebrews. You can imagine Moses, ah, that is fantastic. I love that. Uh, and, and, um, or, or maybe he said, thank God. Thank God you're going to save the Hebrews. And, and then he says, so, so here's what, uh, so go and talk to Pharaoh and let him know we're going to get out of here. And Moses is like, yeah, that's good, yeah. So go talk to, you know, like in the movie, like, yes, go and talk to Pharaoh. Wait, wait, what? Like, I'm going to do that? I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh? I, I thought you were doing it, and certainly someone else is better equipped. I've never dove in a cave before, right? And so what we see is, uh, how about this? How would you respond to this call? I've heard that public speaking is, is feared worse than death. And I believe that every single week. When, when you're all mean mugging me, right? But, but the audience matters. Who am I going to be talking to? Okay. Well, well how about uh, you're going to be talking to the most powerful human on the earth, on the face of the earth. Uh, imagine resurfacing after, after 40 years and standing in front of a, of a self-proclaimed god tyrant, a man in a government who wants you dead, a man who is enemy of your God, a man who desires ultimate control and power, a man who who murdered thousands and and whose agenda and regime is to enslave those whom they fear. Imagine the thought of approaching him with demands from your invisible God. And now, now, how would that go about? You start playing it like, uh, here's the thing, Mr. Pharaoh, I saw this bush, and it was on fire. See, Moses is 80, he's shepherding, he's, he's retired, he's trying to reduce, not induce the stress in his life. And God's asking him to, to lead a revolution, to revolt, to save his people. What, what would you do? Would you run like Jonah does? And, and another prophet, God says, Jonah, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. And, and Jonah goes to the, to the nearest uh, bus station and he says, Hey, uh, what's the opposite direction of Nineveh? That's, give me two tickets there, please. Or, or maybe you do what Doug Heffernan and King of Queens does. Right? You just fake a heart attack. You just, <laughs> I'm just late. <laughs> Some of you, yeah, you're like, that is a great idea. Like, or, or maybe you would do what I would do. You, you would just, you would need some more information. <laughs> you would ask some questions. So Moses says, me? But, but who am I, God? 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Or as Eugene Peterson says, but, but why me? What makes you think I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead them out of Egypt? And we see God's response. He says, but, but I will be with you. That, that's why. God reveals himself to the humble and he, he invites them into his saving work. Now, now, Moses doesn't always get things right. But in this sense, it, it feels like he's actually trying to hear He's convinced that there's something like outside of him happening because his eyes see this, this reality. He's like, that, this doesn't sound right, but um, like, what are the details? He, he seems some, some, like, I'm not the guy, but, but uh, okay. Uh, what, what on earth could I offer? So he demonstrates uh, some level of humility, which is a great quality in, in leadership. He's not presumptuously necessary. He doesn't say, gosh, I've been waiting for you. You should have asked me a decade ago. Because I have this figured out. He, he doesn't say that. Uh, he's, he's humble, yet he has some real questions. And so when you look at the commands and the call on, on, on your own life, from, from God himself, through the scriptures, to live life counterculturally, or as the Bible commands us, that, that we are to be aliens in this life. We're not to love this world, but we are to look distinctly different from this world. Or, or we're to live holy lives, engaging lives. God-glorifying, neighbor-loving, enemy-loving, gospel-proclaiming, missional lives. Do you ever look at God and say, I, I just don't think that I can do that. I feel quite inadequate. And this is what I want us to see, that, that there is no better answer than, than that. Are, are you sure that you want that from me? Because that dude in my community group, like he knows the Bible really well. <laughs> Why don't you pick him? Or that person I work with, gosh, they're just so friendly and they just have a way of telling people about you. It's fantastic. Not, God, not me. See, because if, if, if it doesn't feel like you were inadequate to carry out the mission of God, then, then I just don't think that our vision for what God is calling us into is big enough. And if you know anything about us as a church, we're not flashy, we don't aim high, we don't have neon lights, we don't have a million things going on. We want to be about the gospel. We want to sit under this book. And, and as our community groups are, are kind of built around, we, we want to be under the word and around the table and with our neighbors. That's, that's it. But even that sometimes feels impossible. And, and what God shows us is, here's the reality, if, if we can do what God calls us into without him, then, then gosh, we don't get it. And maybe that looks like self-salvation projects, and you say, gosh, oh, you want to see righteousness? God, won't you just follow me around for a week? Or you say, oh, save my neighbors? 
yeah, I got this. Or, or you go the other way and say, God, there's no way that by your grace alone you, you would save me. You can't know me. Or, or, God, please, if there's anything in my hand, will you please save my son? Will you save my neighbor? I, I can't do it. And so, so this is an okay thing. Th- these are the people that God tends to use, the humble, the weak, the, the inadequate, the, the dependent. We see Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when we're weak, then the only thing we can be is dependent. And that is where God wants us. God enjoys and He delights using the weak so that His grace and His power and His glory may be displayed to the world around us. We are best when we are utterly dependent upon God. And so we see, on one hand, Moses is is just a shepherd enjoying the the golden years. Uh, On the other, he is a Hebrew. He was already saved from death. And sent into the household of Pharaoh. So he has a little bit of unique overlap. Maybe, although it's unlikely, maybe he's exactly the one that God would desire to use. And and maybe God had built his life up to this point and everything in it. As as God says of Joseph for such a time as this. Now when we look at that, is there anyone else we know that was uniquely positioned? To save God's people. Jesus. Jesus was uniquely positioned. Before the manger, Jesus too was in the family of God. He he and the Father and the Spirit, they were one. They they are one. And, And he came from heaven to earth. He came from perfection and perfect relationship with God to the brokenness of humanity for humanity, and it led him all the way to death. So, so we read on. Three, this is verse 12. But, but I will be with you. What is the hope? But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that, that I have sent you. And so Moses is like, is this, this can't be real life. And he says, I will be with you, and this is how you're going to know it. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. You you will serve God on this mountain. And when that happens, Moses, you'll see. You you will know. You'll see, and and when you do, you'll know, and you will will trust me. Because a life in, in God is hinged to belief alone, That's the only thing that we have to do is believe and and let our life be conformed to what we believe about God, about His work in us and through us. Because of that, it really does come down to trusting God and following His lead. And so so God answers Moses' questions. Uh, He says it's not all about who you are. And God's reply is, I will be with you. So whatever God is calling you into, whatever God may want you to do in this life, this is the most important thing. Is God with me? And, and this is much bigger than like a, a footsteps poem. 
in your grandma's den or maybe your living room, okay? I ain't judging. That's okay. But, but it's, it's so much bigger than that, that, that we get to see if God is for us, then, then who can be against us? You don't need to know the end game. You don't need to know all the details along the way. You don't need to know uh, if others will join you. You don't need to know how it will be funded or financed or how long it will last. All you need to know is that God will be with you. So, so do you trust that he is your good shepherd? Will he shepherd me in the valleys and on the mountaintops and, and everywhere in between? Do I, do I own the responsibility of Christ's commissioning? The end of the Gospel of Matthew, we see, again, parallels to what's going on here. Go, therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Moses says, um, I'm okay. I, I have some more questions. I need some more information. Why should I say, uh, or, or who should I say is sending me? Like, I'm getting ready to go on a wild goose chase. Uh, just, just answer me this. Who should I tell them is sending me? Tell them the God of your fathers has sent you. Okay. Do you, or do, does he, uh, uh, what, what is his name? I am who I am. I am has sent you. The God of, of Abe and Ike and Jake. <laughs> right? Th- that's who I am. Remember me forever. What an interesting response. What does this mean? When he says, I am. What, what did we sing about earlier? I, I am who I am. Well, in this, this context, there are, there's worship of all kinds of false gods. We would say little g gods. Gods that aren't. And what God says is, is I, I am. And all others are not. People wanted to know the, the name of the particular gods. Who is this God? Why would I follow? What God is communicating is, is nothing short of this. I am self-existent. I stand alone. I am unmatched. I am unhindered. I don't need anyone's help. I am the ruler. I exist I am, they are not. I'm creator of all, I sustain all, I order all. I'm always the same. And so the focus is is this. I am means to be. And what God is saying is this, is I am all of these things and so much more. but, But get this, I will be with you. My name is a promise of my presence. So he says, go and tell the elders. And, and he tells them to say all the stuff that, that he just said. All right? And it takes us all the way through verse 18. Go tell them that I appeared, that I have observed, that my heart is broken, that I have compassion, that I promise to bring you out. They'll listen. Go to Pharaoh and demand three days away so that you might go and sacrifice to me. You're going to go tell Pharaoh that. Now look, when we put all of this together, who Jesus is and who Moses is and who his people are, and we see Jesus say these things in, in the book of John, kind of scattered out, right? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, 
He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He says, all these things in John, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the true vine, abide in me. And all of these statements are a promise of Jesus' presence in our life. They are all invitations to trust and to be attached to him. They are all declarations of who Jesus is and, and subsequently who we might be for us and for the mission. So here's the thing. If you were to ask a Jew how they know God is for them, that he loves them, how they know anything is true about their relationship with God, they're going to point to the Exodus. They're going to point to this redemption story. They're going to say, look back and see what God has done. Now, no spoilers. We haven't seen what happens yet. So when Jesus, when he says all of these things, he knows that his hearers know this account that we're reading today. They know it quite well. That God, The only God, the one true God from beginning, the creator of all, all the way through to that point in history, he said, I, I am. I, I will be. I am and they're not. I will be with you. So Jesus in John 8, he says, before Abraham, he's talking to some Jews, and they're like, who are you? And you know what he says? He says, before Abraham, I am. You know what the Jews wanted to do? They either, they either worshipped him or they wanted to kill him. Blasphemer. How dare you? But see, here's the thing. When somebody says, why do you believe in the God that you do believe? We have to look at how this story works together. And the only reason why we see God say this at all is because, because Moses asked a few questions. And if he didn't do that, then we wouldn't have this. And all of these things wouldn't weave together like they do. So God calls some unlikely, humble, questioning people into his mission. And he promises to be with us. Will you humbly consider the call of God in your life today? Would you be rescued? Will you embrace the rescue from God alone and and own the mission of God? Being the rescuer to invite you into his mission. The last thing is real short is this. God reassures of victory. Look, I, I hate being set up to fail. In uh, about four or five years ago, I was, I was coaching a, a say soccer team of seven-year-olds, and we went to the, the state tournament. And in that, it was like seven degrees and snowy, and it was, the conditions weren't great. We won a couple games, and it was like, hey, like, you know, ain't nobody going to stop us, right? And then we play this team that uh, full version of me, I don't think seven of me could have beat four of them. And I was so mad because, it, here's why, because I, I got set up to fail. There was no hope. There, there was not a chance that, that the girl team that we had that, that we blind draft every year. We don't know who we're getting, right? We make the best of what we got, right, Jonathan? Those girls have been playing together for like six years since they were like zero. And I just like, I'm like, this is not right. And you know what? Like that tainted me 
Even up to this year, we, we qualify for the state tournament. We've had a, a couple decent years or whatever, but in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but you know, if we play that team, no. Like, I'm set up to fail. I hate being set up to fail. I hate setting up others to fail. You know what God says here? He says, Moses, I want you to do this, and I want you to go tell Pharaoh, and guess what? It's not going to happen. Like, in my heart, what I would say is, then, then find someone else. This is what it looks like. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not be empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians on your way out. It's absurd. Moses probably said, "Uh, Lord, you're a lunatic. Like, just let me out. I don't want, just. By the way, it's it's not going to work. What you're trying to do has no chance of happening. The mission is impossible. But God knows that, that with God, all things are possible. I'm the God who is and the God who rescues and the God who provides. I'm the God who opposes the proud and uses the weak to overpower the strong. I'm the God of great reversals. I'm going to flip this world on its head. Things are not like they seem. I will rescue with meager means. You do your part. I'll do my part. And you want to know what's really cool about that cave rescue in Thailand? It was not accomplished by one or two divers. Listen what it took to get 12 dudes and a coach out of this cave. The rescue effort involved over 10,000 people, including more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, paid and volunteer representatives from about 100 governmental agencies, 900 police officers, and 2,000 soldiers, and it required 10 police helicopters. Seven ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders, and the pumping of more than a billion liters of water from the caves. See, the rescue was a lot of work, and, and it took a lot of resource and volunteers and contribution. It was filled with risk. In fact, two of those people died. One cave diver died the day of, and one died just this past December of a blood infection that he got. It took everyone doing their part, but, but those 12 were worth all of that. We get to be involved in an even greater mission of rescue, right? And I don't know what you have to offer, but hear me when I tell you, it's a lot. And what God wants is a humble heart that's willing to join God's rescue mission. God reveals himself to the humble and he invites them into his saving 
Or can we get to respond? You can sit where you are. You can stand up. You can sing. You can pray over there. You can pray at that red tree with somebody. Pray back at that red tree with somebody. For those who are in Christ, we get to remember and declare Christ's work for us by taking the bread and, and the cup, remembering the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled, so that we might be rescued, so that we might be established in his work and sent to rescue others by pointing them to our hope.